Welcome to a special series of the Talking Writing Podcast, exploring my project, Weird Music. I'm John Vogel, TW's Art Director. In this episode, we're going to explore how creative ideas occur and then become a piece of art. With that in mind, I figured I'd share the origins of Weird Music. One morning, I woke up to a violent summer storm. Wide awake because of a crack of lightning, I couldn't fall back asleep. Since it was so early, I just laid in bed listening to the storm. With my eyes closed, I was thinking about artistic motivation. Why do people continue to create when the rewards for doing it are so low? Very quickly, this project swirled like a cyclone into my head. Even though I obviously hadn't collected any of the interviews, the idea of a collage of different artists explaining why they continued to make music was firmly fixed in my head. My mind kept racing with questions like, what's your reasoning? What's your creative drive? What came back over and over again was, this is an obsession. Just then, lightning cracked so close it could have been directly in the backyard facing my window. I sat up in my bed and that's the first time I thought, I'm going to start reaching out about these interviews today. I'm not saying that I made weird music because of a bolt of lightning, but that instant in my bed solidified my vague idea into something more concrete. There's nothing as weird and powerful as a eureka moment validated by Mother Nature's thunderclap. I felt electrified by the idea. That electricity started to wane as I sent out countless interview requests without any acceptances. Finally, after securing the first two interviews, I started to be filled with doubt. I didn't realize that this project was going to continue for almost 15 years, but given how much effort it was taking just to collect the first two interviews, I knew that it was going to take a long time. Did I really want to commit myself to something this time-consuming? When I sat down to watch the first interview with Matmos and take notes about editing, the electricity was back in full force. I watched the whole thing straight through with a tense elation. After it finished, I hadn't taken a single note. Not every moment of making weird music has been charged with that same electricity, but that feeling has pushed this whole project through to completion, and I can honestly say that I have enjoyed every moment that I've been able to work on it. In this first section, we'll hear from Ryan Katner of Man Man, John Atkinson of Big A Little A, Chess Smith, Aaron Wall of Big A Little A, back to Ryan, and then Chess again, and ending with a discussion between Chris Powell and Jamie Robinson of Man Man and Need New Body. At the time of my Man Man interviews, they were touring for their fourth studio album, Life Fantastic. I'm always amazed where ideas come from when they can float in out of the ether. You know, I mean, I tend to go through a, a phase where after, for example, like a record's finished, and I, I have no idea how that even happened or who I was in order to make that happen or even who that person was or how to get back to it or even what I want to get back to it. Generally not. I kind of want to keep moving forward. But it is strange where ideas do come from. It's, it's, it's hard to trace, you know? I mean, I think it's, it's, there's a different process for everybody. Are, are you taking that from, like, uh, David Lynch's uh, uh, Catching the Big Fish or whatever? 
uh, in Big Fish. Yeah. He, he like came out with a book recently where he talks about his creative method, which is something that I've thought about, where he talks about like the importance of like, you know, when you first have like an idea for a song, it's like this, you know, complex, like really dense kind of like thing that comes up from you, you know, an inspiration that's like kind of like a vibe and it's like a total thing. And it's very easy once you start working to like lose track of that, but it's like really important to like stay to the original like idea because like that kind of like whole you know, organic kind of creative inspiration is like what makes things really good. Not necessarily like something that's kind of like worked on in the craftsman, like, wait, we're like, I can add this part. Oh, I can add this part. But we, you know, we usually don't successfully bring any ideas to the thing. We usually do just do craftsman like stuff. And that's why we don't write a lot of songs because we don't have a specific idea. We just have parts and yeah. And that's, you know, why a lot of songs like fail, I think is, is when you don't have that guiding, you know, idea to hold on to. And I, I don't know, I was watching some Philip Glass documentary and he was talking about the same exact thing. Like, he's not, you know, he, he described it as like coming, something coming into focus, you know, and that, you know, and it, he might not even know what it is at first, you know. But then I was talking to Trey, Sprouts on his last tour a bunch about writing and he was very... Hey, see you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, he was, Trey was talking about just trying to not let anything in but that idea, you know, mm. which is, you know, and I've been, I've, you know, I've been trying with that. And yeah, I think I've come close actually on some very recent pieces, but then we'll see if, you know, I'll know in like two years whether I liked it as much as the stuff that kind of has a few different ideas in it. Mark Rebo, this guy Shazad and I play with, he was talking to, I think he was talking about this guy, Anthony Coleman. He's a you know, great composer around here. And he said something like, like, Mark was like, what do you do after you get a good idea, you know, after you figure out you have a good idea to work on? And Anthony said, I pray that I, that I don't have another idea. <laughs> I think we all feel that way. It's hard, uh, I think, to have that necessarily in, like, we have, like, a kind of a regulated band practice schedule, so... It's like Mondays and Wednesdays, and you don't know if that feeling is going to be there at that particular time. But I, I kind of assume that everyone feels that like at home when they're working on music, you know, or whatever. But and we used to have more forgiving circumstance. We had that house with the soundproof basement where, kind of like, and John and I both lived there. So it's like, hey, want to play music like right now? And we could, and even just being able to like choose which day we practice, kind of. I, and now I feel like it's like we have to look at. Practicing is like this precious resource where we get something done instead of like kind of riding these swells of ideas as they arrive, which don't necessarily come on Monday and Wednesday. I, I write through like repetition. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I mean, I'm not musically trained. For me, the most important thing is the song. And then arrangements and parts are extremely important. I mean, that's where I'm fortunate where I just play with some pretty badass people, you know? So, so they. It's amazing how they're able to take what I present and vice versa and kind of like throw in their own, you know, musical backgrounds or idiosyncratic taste. I mean, on this last record, some of the guys, they brought music and then I had to try to find my way into it by writing words and contextualizing a little bit. And that was really difficult for me. I mean, it was creatively stressful because I'm just not used to writing for example, just words or songs outside of the music. Generally, they, for me at least, they happen at the same time. So, I mean, it, 
but it was good because it was different and I think it's always important to get outside of your comfort zones. So in the future, I, I look forward to trying to do more of that. Usually it's a matter of playing something over and over and over, especially right now, in particular, I've been working on vibraphone parts. And, uh, you know, that's, it's not, it's not my first instrument, it's like my second instrument. So it's really coming, it, you know, it takes me a, a long time to get the stuff, especially for mallet stuff under my hands, you know. Right. Then eventually it's flowing and I, and I, you almost forget what it was like to even be struggling with it because it becomes really natural. But that's, I mean, that's after hours for me, at least. Well, it's, it's pretty different, uh, song to song. Um, a lot of, uh, actually this, this record in particular, actually, uh, a lot of this stuff started with, with, uh, with different people actually. Um, you know, Ryan did, well, Ryan does all the lyrics. Um, but there's, you know, there's Billy song, sorry, Chang Wang, <laughs> Chang Wang song. Um, there are pieces from, pieces from a song you did. Yeah. There were, um, you know, there was a, a Russell song. There are actually a few Russell songs. The the piano, piano in life, fantastic. Um, that's that's Russell's Russell's piano. Bangkok necktie. Uh, Bangkok of... necktie. Ryan and I started that a long time ago, and Russell did a lot to that. Well, he, that riff. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's so there was like so it actually was uh, kind of all over the place. Yeah, uh, uh, Billy Russell and I did a lot of sessions together to try and come up with stuff for it and add. Uh, we gave stuff to Ryan. Some of it he couldn't do anything with and just didn't gel. And yeah, a lot of it didn't get used. Or actually, ton, tons of other material. There was a lot of other material that didn't get used. We, yeah, we we tons. made an incredible amount of material for it and tried to tried to pare it down. I mean, um, everybody wears different hats everybody arranges and edits in the end um and uh yeah so and then and then there's some songs that you know maybe ryan will bring to us and it's just something's not working and then someone comes up with a part that kind of fixes it and so we all work we're all really work t hard to uh get it yeah sometimes where we, it's a sometimes song. we uh Sometimes you stick to a general form. Like if Ryan, you know, if Ryan does bring a song and has a part, sometimes we'll, we'll stick to the to the general form of it. Um, but a lot of times we'll change up we'll change up rhythms and you know try and make it all make everything sound very different. You know, add add you know certain parts. And sometimes it ends up um, you know people end up adding parts that change the whole you know change the song uh, overall. But, uh, you know, but there are some songs where Ryan will bring it and we'll stick right to that form, uh, generally, generally speaking. And then there's other songs where he'll bring, um, like Steak Knives, for example, that was pretty much, you know, he just, you know, of course it was, uh, not much happening as far as the other musicians in that song, uh, you know, in, within the band, you know, it was, uh, you know, strings were added to it, but, uh, but something like that, for example, that's, you know, that's just his song basically so it's a it was a real mixed bag on this record for sure um in the you know i guess in i guess in the other ones as well too so we had pretty specific ideas how stuff was going to come out we had demos for everything uh that we pretty much stuck with more or less when we got to record it um on this record we had a producer uh 
who really helped kind of whittle it down and make it into something. Um, but we're very, I mean, we work very hard at it. We're very specific about like, uh, uh, we're very specific about trying to make it cohesive because there's definitely a lot of, you know, some things were just straight up improvs that made no sense for anybody anywhere. So it was, you know, we definitely fought to whittle it down and try and make it into something that would make sense. Um, and then Mike Mogus, the producer, definitely uh, put the final polish on it and kind of, you know, had the had the extra set of ears to say things <clears throat> like, oh, this is too much or not enough or whatever. And kind of. Yeah, we there were a lot of parts. There were a lot of things happening that didn't make it to the record. Um, and mostly the, uh, the reason they didn't make it to the record was, you know, we, we trusted Mike's uh, judgment, you know, his, his opinions. And um, they ended up just being at times uh, extraneous and just not really, you know, we didn't really need to have that in there. Although it sounded good, um, didn't really need to eat, to have it in there. And it was a really nice, uh, was a really nice process, I thought, because it really, it slimmed it down and was, was pretty nice for us because we can just add a lot of stuff to a song. Um, and I think, I, think it, I think both ways work, but it was nice to try it on this one a little different. Up next, Jamie Robinson, Chris Powell, Billy Dufala, and Matt Gibson continue talking about the making of Life Fantastic. Plus, I'd like to say, after a year of banging our heads against the creative wall in here, it's great to take it out and have somebody else listen to it with a fresh set of ears. Because as a musician, you, you might know that... Um, being so close to something for so long makes it almost impossible to be sort of a editor in the end because you're so close to certain parts and you're so used to hearing it a certain way and especially for a band that that ha that can play so many instruments that it can do so many things it can it can easily uh you can easily lose perspective once you start adding a lot of stuff which is i think what what ended up um happening we added a lot and uh and although we were really happy with it uh, you know, it ended up, we had to shave down some of it. So, so it wasn't too much. There's, there's a lot more attention to detail of, uh, what works. And, you know, as we, we said earlier, we, we did demo, uh, basically the whole record front to back for the most part. Um, and we demo the demos too. <laughs> we, there's precursors to things. Yeah. And, and we, so there was writing, there's writing along the way. Yeah. For sure. Like I know, um, Definitely. I know there was like a song like, uh, Bangkok necktie for sure. There was the, uh, the, there was the rhythm section, um, the, the verse part. And then, uh, that, that Ryan and I came up with a long time ago, but then, uh, Russell is here and he came up with the the real catchy melody that goes over it and and uh he was in here he was in here for a few nights just working on the horn the horn section and uh bass stuff and he just I, I remember he was just writing on the you know basically the track was there and he just was you know building up the whole song um by himself here for a bit uh so you know so there's that sort of process too that that you know it's uh it's different kind of all the time, you know, there's definitely, even when we were there at the studio, we had a, a B studio set up or a C studio set up 
and uh, we were writing horn parts and uh, doing stuff to Pro Tools, just trying to uh, figure out new stuff. So, I mean, somebody could play, say, Ryan could give us a piano part, then we lay it out, and uh, uh, sometimes we'll play together, but then uh, if we get a working demo, then any person is welcome to sort of come in and put parts, and sometimes the next day you'll come in and somebody will have done something. And... Uh, then other people mute it because it doesn't sound good or <laughs> or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were definitely times where where you could uh, sit down and uh, add parts on the fly. I mean, I guess it even happened a little bit at the record where certain things got arranged a certain way and then we had to come up with some stuff that would fit in its yeah, place. Yeah, to rewrite it on the spot because one thing... Yeah, one part gets written on the fly, and then all of a sudden the parts that were already written don't work as well because a new part works better. Yeah. So it's the whole thing. This was a very um, that that was a, a process through this entire record that was happening uh, everywhere. Something new would would pop up, especially in the studio, especially working with a producer where some things would get. Uh, some things would be some parts would be in the song for a while, and then all of a sudden they're not there at all. And then you need to fill it in, or you wouldn't need to, but we would have to fill it in um, to basically just bring out what the you know what Mike was going for. You know, it would only make sense to write something to that and bring that part out, bring that change that that he thought would would work really well. So there was there was a lot of yeah, a lot a lot to it, a lot of flip flopping um, ideas, writing on the spot, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But um, most, but with, with, I would say with Man Man though, most of the stuff is we worked on here, and and uh, there 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 weren't too many surprises as far as someone wanting to do a song out of nowhere at this, you know, in the studio or you know, and then having to write on the spot. It was the the general idea of the record was already established. It went under a microscope when we got there. It was uh, there was like <clears throat> things were a half step different that we were arguing over. Or <laughs> like, uh, but it, it worked out. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think the record sounds great, and I think Mike did a great job. So it was uh, the the process was really intense, but the end product is is uh, worth it. The amazing thing about what happened with with the writing was that we were getting together as like the rhythm section and just demoing as much whatever we wanted which was great so we had we had uh anything from like what we thought ryan would like and going at it from that angle to just you know making whatever we wanted to whatever we whatever came up and spending days and days in the studio just you know demoing as much as we can just jamming and then going back and pulling out the, the the snippets of really great material and expanding on that and there is so much material that never made it to mogus's studio it's amazing um which is is good and i mean the album was great and what what happened at mogus's was fantastic um i'm still very excited to see what what could be done um, with the stuff that that never made it, to, never saw the light of day in the actual record. Well, I think it was it was definitely like, you know, 
creating uh, a, a, a bunch of musical material for Ryan to mine for ideas. He would bring stuff that he wrote his piano stuff. Like he would, you'd have like lyrics and like an idea for melodies and stuff to, uh, with, with his piano parts. And I remember at one point he brought this one thing in and I liked the, I liked the, the, the movement of it. And I liked how it, how it, uh, I liked the sound of it and what he was singing. I thought was good, but I was just like, man, it's just those two chords though. It's just doing dun, 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 dun. I was like, I am going to fuck with that. And he, we fucking <laughs> went at it. He did not like what I wound up writing for it. Um, but then eventually he came around and he, he got into it. I think it was the bass line that wound up changing it. And uh, before we knew it, like all of a sudden we're like rehearsing this tune a lot. We were playing it live a lot and it never made it to the album still though. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the, the, the main contribution was being there uh, in, in the actual recording of the album was being there with the parts that we had come up with prior to going to the recording sessions. And, um, and before that, it was just coming up with a bunch of material to throw at him to see if he could latch on to any of it. And then the stuff that he would bring to us, you know, trying to open that up and expand on it and, you know, throw our own musical, uh, tastes and likings to it. And, and, trying to make more out of what it was that he was showing to us, showing us. Um, and in some cases it worked really well. And then some, some cases it was like, you know, um, but there is definitely a handful of, uh, of examples where we, we cracked it open really wide and really got to explore, um, things like the, the horn sections in, in some of the tunes was, we never got that big it was it was it was really exciting to be able to uh i don't consider myself a ranger but for us me and russell cougar to uh to arrange that big of a section for those for those parts i want to say i think i was mostly uh i was uh i was trying to be uh, a shoulder to shoulder to lean against a uh, an emotional um supporter being from the outside, because I wasn't really there for uh, the album process, but I was there for Buffalo Stance practices. So I would come in and I'd get to see the progress that was being made yeah. on on one side of the album, you know, the demoing and the writing process, and I got to see, get to hear little snippets of of what was being made, get to hear some of the frustrations that go along with with putting an album together. So from the outside, it definitely seemed like a uh, you know, at least from from the one uh, perspective of the writing process, you know, not not it, I didn't see the whole band interacting, but I got to see part, you know, portions of the band working on material together, and it seemed like something that I would love to be a part of, even though no matter how stressful it probably was, just the fact that you can be like, all right, well, <clears throat> this is a you know a project that has. You know, uh, a level like a certain level. Of, I don't know how you even describe it, but you know, there's a label, a bigger label given. You know, there's money to put. There's a budget for this project, so to speak. So, and you're just like, all right, so it's important. We have to, you know, do something for it. And then so it's just like, I'm gonna get together with the homeboys as much as possible and <clears throat> just write a bunch. And as much as it might have been stressful, it seemed like a cool, really cool process. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> 
Yeah, I for, I forgot that actually. Yeah, I I did. I started playing in Buffalo Stance in that whole process yeah. because it was, you were there. That's where it was. Going the down. Buffalo Stance took a. It was it was like it was it was respite uh, from everything else. I'm trying to get uh, trying to get better at the the whole process of producing records and making records myself and. I've made a lot of records with my friend uh, Griffin, Blue Hawaii, um, and a lot of that is is writing on the spot. For example, uh, you know, with him, with our other our other band, Icy Demons, that's a lot of writing on the spot. Um, but that's that's more just the personality of that band. In this last section, Martin Schmidt and Drew Daniel talk in-depth about the idea behind their ninth studio album, The Marriage of True Minds, which they were working on at the time of our interview. After the interview finished, I participated in one of the Gonsfeld sessions that they were conducting. Well, I mean, our model for it is not... It's not so much rock music as, as like, music concrete. It's, like, what we make is, like... It is a studio construction. It's yeah. like a mosaic, not a song. <laughs> it's kind of like kimchi too, you know, like like how they bury kimchi in a jar in the ground and then 6 months later it's a more intense flavor because it's fermenting. And I think instead of that model of like I express and then I just sort of trim the bad bits and now I'm done, like the longer you take with something and you keep processing it and layering it and adding more, the, the more, worse it gets. Well, not always, but you get a little more critical distance from it. You're less attached to it. And so I think you're able to edit it better if you give yourself a little time. What we do often gets described as concept albums. And I've always felt weird about the phrase concept record because typically, at least in like the 70s prog rock era, what that meant was a kind of light operetta in which there are characters and a narrative and this song is this person's perspective like or, Elias of Sun Willow yeah by the um the by John, John Anderson from yes yeah so that's the like you know rock album as the new novel like model of what a concept record would be and then there's our version which is more like uh, conceptual art um you know of the mid 60s like an idea of you commit to a germ of a sort of recipe or formula and then you execute that formula and that creates the work. And, you know, that's the like Solowit definition of it in, in uh, statements on conceptual art, that the idea is the machine that produces the work. And, you know, I started to think more and more about, well, what do we do when we make a concept record? How could I purify this further? And essentially concepts are mental, right? They're, they're mental constructions. So how could I create a situation in which a mental construction was completely responsible for an outcome? And I thought of, of um, reenacting these Gunsfeld experiments into telepathy as a way of setting up a situation in which the private mental contents of one person are supposedly causally powerful. They're supposedly causing something. Uh, and so the setup uh, of the experiment is that people are uh, put into a state of mild sensory deprivation. They listen to white noise on headphones. Their eyes are covered. There's a red light shining in their face. So their normal perceptual pathways are cut off. And supposedly, the theory of the original experiments was that telepathy is a kind of weak perceptual pathway that's drowned out by our normal senses. And so if we close those off, perhaps you'll be able to pick up signals. Uh, so in this setup, people are not listening and not seeing, and they're instructed to simply 
open their minds and try to receive a message and someone in another room is attempting to transmit content with their mind psychically to send a signal with lingo of, of um, parapsychology that they're mentating. Uh, so what we do is we reenact this scenario and I'm in another room attempting to send the idea of the new Matmus album into their mind with my mind. So they're supposed to empty their mind of everything, every distraction, and then to just describe out loud everything that they hear in their mind or see in their mind. And we record this on video. Mind. 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 And we take the resulting transcripts and then have to realize any scenarios that they see or acquire any objects that they see or construct any sounds that they hear, and that will be the new Madness album will be the results of these transmissions. So we're trying to set up a situation that's completely pure in that I've never told anyone what it is that I'm transmitting when I transmit the idea of the new Matmus album. Including me. I haven't told Martin, I haven't told anyone, and I never will. It's a purely mental, yet arguably causal force that's producing this outcome. And of course, we leave it wide open whether you know there is any telepathy or whether these people are just desperately reaching for what they think I want or whether they're, you know, distracted, or, I mean, the other possibility is, like, maybe Martin's psychic, and I'm not, and everything I'm sending goes nowhere because I don't have it, and, in fact, when these people see, you know, penguins or triangles, it's all to do with Martin's mental content. So it seems like it's a way to be sort of completely pure conceptually and yet completely open, including being open about whether or not there's anything real happening here. So we want to make the sort of purest concept record ever, um, and we'll see. I mean, the real test, of course, is in the process of realizing these sounds and scenarios, will something happen that is musically productive and rich? You know, because it's not interesting to have a kind of cool wall plaque next to a stupid, ugly, pointless sculpture. And you're, you know, the, the wall. Don't you see that? All the you time. see that a lot, you know, where the, the text on the wall is supposed to redeem the, like, ugly lump of crap, you know, and like, oh, this isn't an ugly lump of crap. You know, this is, there's a conceptual reason why this ugly lump of crap is the ugly lump of crap that it is. Um, this is made out of, oh, I was going to say something so offensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's the basic recipe and it seems like it's just a way for us to, um, to push ourselves a little harder by taking away all responsibility for the typical choices that musicians make, like what kind of instruments am I going to play or what sort of style expresses my feelings? Like none of that is happening here, you know? So it's very freeing in a way. It takes away all of this responsibility of like, what shall my art be about? Like we don't have that problem. We have other problems. Thank you for listening to this special Weird Music series of the Talking Writing Podcast. You can find the full Weird Music album on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, and elsewhere. Links to these are in the associated notes. To support Talking Writing, myself, and the podcast, you can now subscribe to the Talking Writing Substack, my own Substack, or the Talking Writing Podcast on any of the supported platforms. In addition to supporting these artistic endeavors, subscribers will also receive bonus material, starting with four bonus episodes of the Weird Music Podcast, and upcoming extra content from the Talking Writing Podcast interviews.